Friday evening, I received word of the death of one of my seminary professors. Perhaps you've heard me mention him from this pulpit. Fred Craddock died. It is an exceptional loss. In fact, the news of his death still haunts me as I'm here before you today. In some ways, I feel it the most appropriate response simply to sit down and be quiet. It is an amazing thing, this life of Fred Craddock. Some of you may not know him, and that's to be understood because he never sold himself. He always sold Jesus, but he did it in an exceptional way. I push ahead, though, here in this place, and I offer my feeble attempts at doing what he did so well. Fred redefined preaching. If you think to yourself, I don't hear as many preachers that are preaching three points and giving a a, a poem to close out their sermon, it's because of Fred Craddock. It's because of Fred Craddock. He was a storyteller par excellence, and he believed in this type of narrative preaching that would welcome us as hearers to decide what was going on. He had the oddest style, a very high-pitched voice and no more mannerism than simply to wave his hand over his head and slap the pulpit maybe one time. That's about all you got out of this guy. But it was an exceptional rendering of the gospel whenever he spoke. And he would be speaking. You thought you were midway the sermon And then he would leave you with just a question and to ruminate over what else might be Jesus's job for you to think on while he had already long since sat down in the chair on the side. I know I put him in high company, but bear with me when I say to you, I think He preached like Jesus. I think he preached like Jesus. Now, John the Baptist, he laid out specifics and bore down hard. You and I have heard a lot of John the Baptist preachers, haven't we, in our growing up? Haven't you been around that kind of stuff? Laying it down hard. You've heard this kind of preaching, you brood of vipers. Haven't you ever heard anybody preach at you like that before? You brood of vipers, bear fruit worthy of your repentance. Do you claim to say that your racial heritage is going to get you into the kingdom? Let me share with you, John the Baptist would exclaim from the Jordan's River, the axe is already laid at the foot of the tree. You think you're going to get out of this so easy. There's something that appeals to us about the way that John John the Baptist preached. Even me. You know, when I think about it, sometimes I wish that Jesus had preached a little bit more like John. Come on, be a little more definitive here. He could have at least been more direct with core principles and with spiritual laws, a little more definitive, perhaps, about prayer. He gave us just that little short one, you know. It would have been easier. And yet Jesus puts it in our laps. (coughs) He shares with us his parables and his analogies, and his hyperbole, his exaggerated language, in order 
to give to us the opportunity to be the people of faith that he is calling us to be. He doesn't do this work for us. Neither did Fred Craddock. That's why I say to you, in my opinion, it is putting him in high company, but I think that he preached like Jesus did. He puts the responsibility on us to think through. I tell you, we're still trying to figure out the parables, aren't we? Have you got those things figured out? Come on. We're still 2,000 years later trying to contemplate the depths of those parables. When Jesus began his ministry, as Matthew recalls it, he went up a mountain to preach. He sat down and gathered perhaps a crowd, perhaps his disciples around him closely there. It's hard to determine by the wording of the text. But he didn't start with this list of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. He was not doing a Moses thing here. Jesus was being Jesus. He started with an observation about God's kingdom at work among us. And it is counterintuitive. It doesn't fit with the logic of our world in which the well-educated and the well-connected and the wealthy are the ones that are blessed. You know this, don't you? This is the way the world works, that those who are blessed already will receive more blessing. But Jesus observes differently. You see, he starts his sermon, his preaching, his concept, his foundation. He starts with the words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It seems so hopelessly naive, doesn't it? So hopelessly naive on Jesus's part to think this might in any way be true. It reminds me of another great voice of recent years, that of Mother Teresa, who knew so well about paying attention to people in the dark corners of society, reaching out to the poor and the dying in Calcutta. You remember that one of her famous quotes is, do small things with great love. Isn't that profound? Do small things, small things. We think we've got to do the big things. In fact, it takes big people to do big things. It takes money to earn money. Have you ever heard anybody say that? It takes big things to do big things. Not in Mother Teresa's book. Do small things with great love. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, The heart of our nation is determined by how we treat the most vulnerable among us. Now, that's a lot of words for a bumper sticker. But it cuts to the heart of the matter for me. The heart of our nation is determined by how we treat the most vulnerable among us. How is it that you see the world around you? Are you, are you observing even the vulnerable? Are you aware? Do you go into Walmart? Oh, come on, admit it. You go into Walmart. I was in Walmart yesterday with Sue. 
And Sue and I think about Walmart differently. I've determined that now. Sue, Sue sees the opportunity to look at a lot of things. When I go into Walmart, I want to, want to get the things that are on the list and get out of there as quickly as I possibly can. When we, when we, when we walked into Walmart yesterday, when we walked into Walmart yesterday, I knew that I was in trouble. Sue looked at me and she said, I'm going into cosmetics. And I, and she said, I know you may not want to go there with me. She said, just have your phone with you. I'll call you when I'm done. I said, I'll be in TVs. <laughs> I found my way through the entire store, everything that I wanted to look at, and to a bench there in Walmart and was waiting on her long before she had chosen the shampoo that was just right. What I began to do, though, on that little trip, what became so powerful for me was observing the workers in Walmart. I don't know if you do that. I mean, and I would imagine that we've got some workers in from Pittman Park's membership that uh, put in hours at Walmart. But the thing that particularly touched me yesterday as I reflected on those that were employed there was that there were so many persons of age there. I mean, I'm talking about persons that were getting up close to the age of my father and and mother's age, that they were working there at a job that I know was barely above minimum wage, if it was at all, and they were doing it just to make ends meet. I saw one woman who, bless her heart, was trying to get things organized on a shelf, and I know that she was a grandmother. She was somebody's grandmama. And I saw another lady who was trying to stuff the shelves in the frozen food section. And she was doing everything that she could to stay focused in her work. But it was almost more than she could do. I had a professor that used to say to us, (coughs) I heard him say it on several occasions, but (coughs) he said it shortly after I arrived at seminary. He said, he said, ministers, ministers, you want to be a minister? I'll tell you where the ministers are working. He said, just listen to me. He said, he said, you go over to the hospital this afternoon and get up on some of those floors and you see who's carrying the bedpans. Those are the ministers among us. This is good training for young seminarians. Do you pay attention to those that are humbled by the world, that are vulnerable? in this world, that live in very lowly ways, the poor and those that mourn, those who are meek, those who are hungry. Do you pay attention to those people? Jesus started his ministry in this way, calling us to pay attention. Now, you remember how the story goes, don't you? Because John, as he was thrown into prison, right about the time that Jesus was starting his preaching, finally, in only a way that he could do it, sent messengers to Jesus from his window there, perhaps at his prison cell. And he says, go ask him. 
Are you the one? Are we to expect another? Why would he say that? Because he hadn't broken John out of prison. And in fact, he was beginning to question whether Jesus was up to the task of being the Messiah. They came to Jesus. And of course, the thing that Jesus responded was, go back and tell. And he was not offended by this question. He was not offended by John's question. It was a question that should have been raised. Go and tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor, the poor have good news proclaimed to them. You, you see what Jesus is doing here. He's taking this opposite role, even of John the baptizer, this one who is the greatest that the world has to offer as far as Jesus is concerned, but he's not concerned for what the world has to offer. He's concerned for what the kingdom of God has to offer. And Jesus comes to say, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to the vulnerable among us? This is the message of salt and light. If we are going to be of any use in this world to Christ, then you and I must be the salt of Christ upon the palates of those who seek to taste of his essence. You and I are to be salt, this type of salt, to the world, and light, this type of light, to the world. And it's all based on whether we get it or not, whether we really get who Jesus is paying attention to, whether we are learning in any significant way in all of this coming and going from church. Because as it was, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to speak. And he taught them. He taught them.